Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have Eric Chabelle, Director of Technical Marketing and Evangelism at Chronosphere. And Eric is Chronosphere's Director of Evangelism also as well, and he's renowned in the development community as a speaker, lecturer, author, and baseball expert of all things. So... Welcome to the Gumbo, Eric. How are you? Very, very good. Nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. Why don't you start off just by giving the listeners a quick informational on Chronosphere? Chronosphere. This is a cloud-native observability company. We host a a SaaS offering. We are one of the few third-generation cloud-native observability platforms uh, that can help you observe your, your platforms, your applications, your data to deal with the, the flood of what's happening in, in a cloud-native environment at very large scale. Awesome. And I, I do remember taking a look at uh, a couple of the blog posts that you wrote and want to pull some some media information out of that so we can have a, a conversation about it. And you, you talk a lot about taking a journey into the world of cloud-native observability and Just for the Gumbo listeners, this is not a conversation that we have often. So what does cloud-native observability mean, Eric? Well, um, the the whole idea of having this journey into the cloud-native observability world um, had to do with me coming from a a background of of app development, basically. The last 15, 20 years, I've been doing uh, development through different stages of and including cloud-native environments. And I felt like uh, this transition from my last role where I was uh, working at an open source company and, and talking about a completely different side of the fence to make this jump and this leap over to uh, the observability side or the monitoring side, uh, it's, it's a different audience. It's a different, basically a different focus on the sport of development and, and monitoring stuff. And it was rather uh, uh, abrupt. So I, I felt like everything I've been talking about, writing about and, and, and sharing with the world is that's all I've ever done is, is share everything as freely as possible on my blogs and my articles and my talks and teachings. I felt like I needed to, to, to bring them along in my journey too, because for me, it's like stepping into new waters, new field, new domain, and easing into the, the, the cloud native at scale and looking at it from the side of, a, of an operations perspective, where we're monitoring this stuff and trying to be able to react to this stuff and doing this at a massive scale. It's, it's one thing to monitor one app on a, on a Kubernetes environment, which is what we mean when we talk about cloud native, uh, being able to deal with the scale and the, and the the environment that you're basically just describing with configuration files to make happen on a Kubernetes platform is a completely different approach than having complete control over your development environment and then replicating that on another platform in production. Okay. In this case, it's 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 much more challenging also from the app dev side. And I talked lots and lots about that, about you know how you test that. And, and I felt like to not make an abrupt 180 and go over and talk about observability, I had to make this journey. I have to learn. So I'm just taking everybody along as we go. And that's a little bit of probably what you stumbled on. I call it the uh, the Ollie guide. So just like uh, Kubernetes is too big of a word to put on social media, they do K8S. They fill up the 
middle part with the eight letters, they put a number. We do the same thing with observability because that's the first thing I ask my mm. boss. I'm like, oh my God, if I have to tag observability, that's half the you know, social media post. So uh, we, we talk about Ollie, it's O11Y. Hmm. That's, and, uh, that's super creative and it, it reminds me of uh, Elon Musk's uh, child. Isn't his name like an acronym or something or a letter and a number? Ooh, getting know? into touchy space here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's a very yeah. timely one. You know, I, actually, I, I think it's pretty cool, though. I, if if my wife would go along with it, then maybe our second daughter would be named S, SM1 or something. I don't know. but <laughs> Sounds like a rocket to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> it may be a little challenging for her to get a job. I think you have to you have to be rich in order to name your child something yeah. like that. Right? And I, I think that was just one <laughs> of the things that I had to... You know, even that, like that acronym, I, I'd never heard of it as a developer, right? And so you start stumbling upon it all over the place in this world, and you're like, "Hey, this is another small step we got to take together, right? You got to bring people along." Okay, and and you talk about the three pillars of observability. You mind educating the listeners on what those three pillars are, and also, are they still relevant in the cloud native world? If you can't remember all three. Just wing it. So uh, basically, this is one of the first things you bump into. It's the traditional way uh, that your uh, your APM, your application uh, performance monitoring uh, tooling and companies like to look at the world. Okay. Uh, they like to talk about tracing, metrics, and logs. And if you think about this, that is very much a technological kind of approach to the problem. Uh, the first thing you're talking about is, is very technical aspects and then whatever tooling is going to cover that. And it often very much ends up being a very distinct uh, discussion about each one. And you'll see many solutions include tools for each one. What we like to do uh, in, in cloud native at scale is to talk about uh, phases. Uh, you also notice immediately with the word, we're now talking at a business level and talking about business value. It's also more talking about the process that you go through if you're in that world and have to deal with these problems. So it's not that the alarms go off on, on my, my monitoring system and I'm thinking, Ooh, do I need logs? Do I need metrics? Do I need tracing? You're thinking, I need to know what the hell's going on as fast as possible, right? And remediate if I can. If I can't remediate, I start triaging and trying to figure out how to remediate. Between those two, I better be able to remediate. Otherwise, we have massive mm -hmm. problems. And then I want to have enough information to, to deal with it afterwards to, to do the root cause analysis, which we call you know deeply understanding the problem. So know, triage, and understand are what we like to talk about not the old pillars, not, you know, there's even somebody that wrote an article about like nine pillars or something or pyramids or, you know, it gets to be a religious thing, right? Um, I think, I think at the basis of, of what everybody's doing in cloud native observability might include these kind of technologies, but what you want to have when you're sitting behind these dashboards and things are going wrong is a way to integrate in, in an integral way to go down into the problem. I don't give a crap if the answer comes from logs, metrics or tracing. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Just take me to the problem. And you look at some of the, the environments you're talking about, it's, you know, millions of microservices. It could be you know, hundreds of thousands of pods or clusters. Yeah, it's a lot. Where do I start? You know, what I mean? <laughs> do I go look at this dash door? Do I go look at this one, that one? And often the person on call doesn't have complete in uh, institutional knowledge about everything. So you end up start calling people and, you know, it's just a waste of resources, time and effort. And so we try to get away from talking about the old school way of doing stuff. And, you know, this new generation has caused a rewrite of tools, a rewrite of how we approach the, the, the methodologies we use. 
So think more about know, triage, and understand, and you'll, you'll do much better when you're talking to people in this space because then you're living in their world. And this is the Data Protection Gumbo podcast, obviously, and uh, I, I am a big Tina Turner fan. What's love got to do with it? But we're not talking love here. We're talking data. So what's data got to do with it, with cloud-native observability, Eric? Okay, so that that was my first question too when you called me. Like, what, why, why you want to talk to me? Yeah, you know? yeah. But then I started thinking about it, and I was like, this makes a lot of sense actually, because a lot of what people don't understand, and, and one of the things I did this last year before I transitioned to Chronosphere was talk an awful lot about cloud data and the surprises that are in there for customers doing this stuff at scale. Even as you're growing into it, you just don't expect these things. Basic bottom line is that everything that goes through the pipe costs money. So if you think of water going through a pipe, the more water through, the more data through, the more it costs you by these cloud environments, right? Um, the second thing is uh, understanding uh, how to control that and to deal with that. So we talked a little bit about, you know, three pillars versus three phases. When you're sitting there and trying to understand what's going on and you deploy, you know, one of your teams deploys a new uh, application or an update or something to one of your environments, and they've put a few data tags on there so you can monitor some stuff. Uh, there, there's a really complicated word that I spend a lot of time on on these blog posts because I was like, I haven't heard this word since uh, since math courses at university. But they like to talk about cardinality in this world. So it's it's a, it's a, an exponential explosion of what's happening with your data. So I have this like fire hose that's coming at me that's maybe trickling, and then someone deploys something, and now I'm getting hit with a full blast fire hose. What do I do? There's a couple of things that can go wrong. One, your monitoring system can just choke on it. <laughs> it just yeah, absolutely right. falls over. Number two, mm -hmm. you're also your your bill is spiking. Most 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 of these uh, uh, solutions, uh, you're paid also for the storage of the data. When you get through your monitoring systems, they store everything. And what's the question they're going to ask you? They're going to ask you every single time. Hey, do you want to store everything? Do you want to have everything in, in your disposal so that you can figure out what's going on? Now, logically, we all think that's an awesome idea. <laughs> I need everything. You know, what, what if I don't have that? Well, it turns out it's not that hard to create dashboards around what you want to see that instead of using 130,000 plus data points, you only need 130. And then if you, all this other garbage for what I'm trying to look at are not important. And I mean, think about it. How many people go into a, a cloud environment or using these marketplaces and then clicking on things to install and use in yeah, their environment? Right, right. Developers do it all the time. I mean, the defaults of what they have standard, turned on just to send you logging information, to send you tracing or to send you metrics is kind of overdone. Um, I may be interested in, in two aspects of my microservice. I want to know how many times it's hit and how much money is being spent you know, in a retail environment. Th that might be the only two things I'm interested in monitoring, but I'm getting 10, 12, 20, 40, 50, and then it replicates. You start getting an exponential growth all of a sudden into your system. And you might, one, blow through your budget. Two, you might just choke the system. Three, you might, you know, have no idea what's going on anymore because you're looking at just too much garbage, just too much noise. Mm -hmm. And I think you just answered this question, but really trying to separate the data that, that comes from the observability side of the house versus the actual data, the business data. And, of course, it's it gets to be expensive if you're paying for, you know, all of that data, all of that observability data, and you're just trying to get, you know, what's exactly needed. Isn't that a, a wrong approach to take? And I think you just described this, but anything else you want to say on that? It's absolutely shocking. When uh, I saw, uh, when I first got in, one of the first numbers I saw was some, some research report that was talking about 71% of companies are concerned that their observability data growth is passing what they're doing on their, 
their, their production side, what they're doing to make money. And you think, ooh, this might be a problem. Um, it's only a problem. We'll pay this much if it solves problems quicker, if I can remediate faster, if, it, if the outcomes are better, if uh, uh, customers are happier, spending more money, good revenue. But that's not the case. It's getting worse and worse the bigger this gets, right? They're, they're having you know, longer times to, to remediation. We talk not about the uh, mean time to, to, to repair and stuff. We talk about the, uh, the worst time to remediate. You want that mm. as small as possible, right? I want to yeah, get stuff right, back online right. today. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's just shocking to think how common the situation is that, that organizations are paying more for their observability data than they are for their production infrastructure. It's insane. And it's not just the cost of the actual infrastructure or the data coming in that you're storing. There's also your engineering team that's now being divided in half to have to go over here and do that. You know, they're, they're having to monitor and deal with these problems all the time, but it's costing too much effort. Uh, I did a talk about the shift to left observability uh, not too long ago. And just from my own you know, research, I started digging into online. Just Google around a little bit how much uh, uh, are, if you look at the DevOps world, how much time are devs spending on actually coding? And you get kind of a shift in numbers, but I just kind of rounded them off and said, okay, coding 32%. That's working on new code, stuff that I, you know, I as a developer want to do. Uh, 18% was other, so I'm assuming meetings, coffee, lunch, things like that. And then 50% of it was trying to deploy stuff or dealing with deployments. Mm. 50%. Wow. So if you're, 50% of your devs are doing that? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. That's a nightmare. That's burnout waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, you know, it, it reminds me, I remember when this thing called big data was a, a huge buzzword. Everyone was talking about it. Big data this, big data that. And I think you had IoT, the Internet of Things, uh, that's sending data into these data lakes and just any anywhere data can be analyzed. So let's say you're wearing a T-shirt and that T-shirt has a smart device built into it where it takes your temperature or your heart rate or your perspiration, I don't know, and send that information over, you know, back to the device so you can track kind of, you know, where you are. But how much data is is really being generated, I guess, for like a single cloud native app? Yeah, so I also dug around for that for a couple of my things. Like, what 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 would that look like? Let's just get something to reference to, right? And I found a guy that put a pretty detailed thing together, and uh, I can give you the link if you ever want to look for it. But yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. He did an experiment, and he he did a, like a Hello World app, so it's not even serious workload, right? Just some kind of front end, some kind of back end, and and he put on a four node Kubernetes cluster. So that's just super small, nothing exciting going on. So the monitor he did was uh, he traced it. He used end-user metrics, EUM, I think they call it. Basically just wrote an app that pinged the front end, and he just counted how many times it got pinged or whatever. Uh, he, he looked at the, lo- the logs that were generated, the metrics uh, that he could pick up on the stuff, and uh, just, just monitoring the containers and the nodes, not even going all bore on the, on the whole cluster. So a relatively conservative approach to what you're doing. And uh, I was pretty, pretty friggin' shocked after 30 days, almost a half a terabyte of data on that one thing. I mean, now, now take this, you dig a little deeper, on average, companies are, are storing their data, the retention rate is 13 months. So when you set this up, you're also not really concerning, concerning yourself with where it's coming from, you're just applying across the board the rules. So. I have some temporary environment that I spin up for two weeks to do some training. That data is being held for 13 months. I mean, 
it's getting a little, you know what I mean? It's a little silly and, and nobody really owns what's going on with this stuff. And, and imagine, so I used to be a backup administrator, Eric, uh, back, back in the day. And we used to have different environments and like different things that we would back up. And uh, we would have these systems where they would back up, you know, 50 gigabit, 50 gigabytes, 100 gigabytes. The larger ones were like these databases that we were backing up. And this was back in the IBM world where DB2 was a thing because it was IBM's backup product. So I can imagine having to back up that amount of data, which you may not even need to use or even you might even have to replicate it or migrate it. So it's just to me, it's 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 one of those costs that you may not have to take on. So you, you really need to be smart about what that data is doing, how you're protecting that data, whether you're backing it up or not, or if you need to back it up. And that kind of rolls me into my question. I guess from your perspective, are companies like paying to retain all of their observability data or even some of that data? Um, the ones we're running into are, are definitely in that boat. If you look at the various, you know, the, the original generation is what you're, that's generation one of observability or, you know, monitoring. Uh, is what you're talking about, where you own the servers, you don't mind backing up. You have a server over there with enough space on it, you can back it up onto that one. It's not a problem, or maybe a different data center or whatever. The 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 pipeline isn't being charged. The you know what I mean? It's just you bought a machine, you have the storage, you can do that. When you get to the second generation, you start talking about things like uh, uh, VMs uh, uh, starting to get into the cloud. You start seeing business models show up with you know you got to pay for what you pump into the cloud, pump out of the cloud. That kind of definitely evolved now into the third generation where you really see cloud native going going big time. We spent a lot of time in the, in the app dev world talking about how you architect that stuff because people would stumble and, and, and fall based on that. So as you're scaling this up, all this data is flooding into your, you know, I'm just looking at the observability side. Most of the vendors are, are charging for that. That's their business model. You store it, you pay for it. And so there's no mechanism between ingestion to storage other than reading it out and you know building up your, your your time series stuff and putting traces together and whatever you want to do on these dashboards. Um, but at Chronosphere, one of the things that, that, that they did really, really early on because our founders came from Uber, they're the, the original uh, creators of the M3 time series database. They've gone through this at massive scale. Uh, they realized really quickly, you don't want everything as we discussed already, right? So they, they put together a, a control plane in front of that so after ingestion, you have everything, you need to put controls in place where the users, and I don't mean super expert users or developers, anybody in that dashboard at that time looking at alerts, monitoring, and problems can then decide to put a drop rule into effect to kill what they just turned on. Just until we figure out what's going on. You can even automate that kind of stuff if you really wanted to. You, you have things in place where you can rate limit you know, teams. You can, you can say, hey, you got a budget to here and that's it. And you need to either stop and go figure out what's going on, or as it starts growing, you can slowly notify somebody from, hey, you're reaching your limits. Um, but one of the one of the best things is being able to, to have that control to drop, aggregate, or do whatever you're going to roll up into to, to reduce that load that you're actually storing because you want to store what you need. I only want to pay for what I'm using, and what I'm using is what I'm really using to, de to debug my problems. And just like we described before, if it, you know, we have a, an example, and I've put it in several presentations because it's just it's stunning to think that other people aren't interested in this. But it has to do with the business model of wanting to be able to store data to make money. So there's no incentive to tell them not to do that. And we do uh, a free uh, kind of a white glove uh, uh, 
kick off the product, kind of get your impressions of it. Uh, we call it a pilot. And, and you get it hands on and get to see how this works and how, how fast you're seeing the return on investment is, is pretty stunning when you go from 130,000 data points plus to 130, just, just as an example. And uh, we even did some research into uh, across all of our customers right now. Uh, we can, we're seeing pretty much 50% uh, data uh, reduction uh, at a minimum. And there's even some of them are in, in the upper 90s just because of their case or whatever. Where they just There's so much they don't need from the cloud providers or from your platform or whatever software you're using. Who do you typically have conversations with when you when you seek out someone who may be interested in observability, is that like a an, an SRE site reliability engineer or maybe a CIO or someone from that perspective? Uh, it can be it can be pretty much across the board. Um, for example, I was at KubeCon in Detroit uh, a couple of weeks ago. You have all kinds of people coming up to you at the, at the things talking about oh what's this what's that and. When you start touching on a, on a few things, one one really interesting thing is is uh, a lot of open source uh, is where companies start out at, right? I mean, everybody in the world is kind of over the edge of uh, I'm worried about open source in my organization, so it is a de facto thing to actually look at. And uh, many people start up small projects using you know the free little tools that you can get on on, on the different things. And the the CNCF, uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, is full of you know, really, really high quality stuff that you can do uh, monitoring with. You have Prometheus, you have OpenTelemetry, you have Jaeger, you know, there's all these things you can use. Uh, uh, PromQL, these are these are like standard or unofficial, either official standards or unofficial adopted standards of how you do things. And one of the nice things about that is, is people start doing that and then realize it was never really built to scale a cloud native without a lot of work, let's put it that way. Um, so it requires a huge effort to keep something like that in the air. And one of the things we talked about is, hey, I have a development team. I, would, I want them doing what they're supposed to be doing. I don't want them drifting over here and spending a lot of resources on this. And it sort of turns into that. And one of the nice things about, about originally investing in the open standards is that you can then redirect. We ingest all those open standards, just like the things that go into Prometheus. And that makes the transition really easy. And so th those are those are some of the conversations you see happen probably more than half the time. Somebody's gone down that path. They're getting kind of to the point where it's, it's starting to be really successful, starting to scale up. And you're like, uh oh, you know, this this is this is that that spend, uh, that data and that effort. Everything is getting to be too much for what I'm doing in my production. And um, when you start seeing a deterioration on your remediation and, and things like that, the ability to respond. Uh, yeah, then the questions start coming up. Uh, is there another option? And oh, not another tool. <laughs> um, it could even be triggered by somebody leaving that was that expert, right? You know, you lose your expert. Uh-oh. Yeah, and this this has truly been a, a super insightful conversation, Eric, and I, I appreciate you jumping in and providing some information to the, the gumbo listeners. And, you know, one final question before I let you go is what's, what's on your nightstand? What are you reading these days? What do I read? Oh my gosh. Yeah, so to be on, really sure. honest, uh, I read almost every day, uh, usually in the evening before I go to bed. And, uh, I think I cover anywhere between 30 to 35 books a year. Wow, It's pretty vast and, and, and I'm, I'm not super dedicated to only work stuff all the time, but I will, you know, when I moved over into observability, I started reading a few things on this side. Uh, I've spent time reading stuff on uh, just the nature of what I do, researching how you pre present and how you connect with people. Right. Yeah. Um, but I do 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 read a lot of uh, uh, detective stuff. Okay. I like Sherlock that. Holmes brain type working. of stuff. 
Sure. Uh, even uh, uh, private detective stuff, a uh, whole series of stuff like Scottish Police. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love uh, over here in Europe, we have BBC uh, uh, detective series. There's okay. some really good ones. What about Game of Thrones? So, Are you, you into that? Oh, big fan of that. Yeah. Read that a long time ago back in the day. Okay. I read it before he finished it. It was kind of was upsetting when he got to the end and didn't have the book. What did you think about House of Dragon? I haven't seen that yet. So, what? so I just got through the the Ring of Power and okay. uh, the House of Dragons. If I'm not wrong, is on HBO. I think. Yeah, HBO over Max. There. And I don't think I can get that here yet. Mm. Is the problem? Okay. Okay. So I kind of wait for the trip to the states and you know yeah. try to slam it in in a week. <laughs> well, I, I, I won't ruin it for you because I've I've watched the entire season one, and it's it's. It's rather interesting, and I just finished Game of Thrones as well a couple of months ago, and I've, I've put it off and put it off and put it off, and I finally like dedicated myself to to watching it, and I'm going to watch it again because it's some heavy stuff, right? You gotta you, yeah. you miss you yeah. miss you have all these families, all these houses, and all these kingdoms, and it's a lot to try to remember. So, indeed, yeah. Well, Eric, I uh, truly appreciate you being a guest on Data Protection Gumbo. Any any final final thoughts here? Have fun, stay safe, and uh, hope to see y'all somewhere out there in the world face to face. All right. Well, until next time, we'll see you next time on Data Protection Gumbo. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.